the book of Philippians. And I'm going to be covering some great stuff tonight. Let's put it up there, Marsha. And uh, the windshield and the rearview mirror. Now, this is after a book I wrote, but this is one of the things I believe most. Uh, if we're going to move forward, we've got to let go of what's behind us. And so we're going to see what Paul thought about that. Say with me, the windshield. Well, let's drop back. Say this. There's a reason the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. Because you do most of your viewing through the windshield. And you operate the vehicle primarily 95% through the windshield. Now, we saw last time, let me read this quickly and we'll get down to a couple of verses and be seated. We saw last time that nothing made Paul more righteously angry than when someone tampered with salvation by grace alone. If you believe you're saved by grace alone, let's put our hand over our heart and I want us to say a prayer tonight. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I need your word. I need to grow spiritually. Feed my soul tonight. Build my faith. Make me more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And we're going to continue in the joyful letter tonight. I'm finishing chapter 3. And next week, chapter 4 is great stuff. Uh, most of you know at least some of the things out of chapter 4. Not being a, a worrier what to fill your mind with, and so on and so forth. But now, let's continue tonight. We saw last time that it really made Paul angry when somebody messed with salvation by grace alone. Now, the folks that were doing it the worst were the Judaizers. They were the ones that were in his crosshairs. And they were teaching that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And what did Paul say to them? Who has bewitched you? And that was his response to the people that had begun to believe that message. And he went on to ask them, having been forgiven and perfected by faith, do you now have to turn to the works of the flesh to be saved? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. We can't be saved by the works of the flesh. It is by Jesus and Jesus alone that we're saved. Amen? Uh, uh, Christianity is not learning rules and regulations in order to get right with God. Christianity is leaning on what Jesus did. I mean, folks, that's it. What right do we have to enter heaven? We say to the angel, if it's an angel keeping the door, we say, I'm here because I believe in Jesus. I'm here because I've accepted his covering, the washing of the blood. None of my works put me here. Only his works. I have no claim to anything that I've done. It's all by Him. You know what you're going to hear? Enter into the joy of the Lord. So it's all by grace. All by grace. Every bit of it. Now we also saw that the New Testament deals with two kinds of truth. Remember this? Positional and experiential. Can you say that with me? Positional and experiential. Now when you're reading your Bible, you're going to all the time come across these one of these two truths these two kinds of truth are what the bible is comprised of now what do i mean by positional truth positional truth is simply this what god did for me what god did for me now let's look at what god did here's an example of a positional truth verse okay and you he made alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins 
Now, do you notice the he there, the he, the pronoun he? All right, it's saying, who made you alive? You, did you make you alive? Anybody in here, did you raise yourself from the spiritual dead? Anybody in here, that's supernatural? No. Who raised you from the spiritual dead? And when did that happen? It happened the moment you said, Jesus, forgive me and come into my heart as my Savior and Lord. A miracle happened at that point. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. He lifed you. And your spirit that was dead in trespasses and sins was raised to newness of life. You are a resurrected person. Amen. And there isn't anything else that can do that for you. Hugging a tree won't do that for you. Doing good things won't do that for you. Never getting a traffic ticket won't do that for you. Muhammad can't do that for you. Buddha can't do that for you. Confucius can't do that for you. No other philosophy of life can do that for you. It is by Jesus Christ alone. When Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came up out of that tomb, wrapped in grave clothes, and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. You were raised just as dramatically. From the spiritual dead. And that's a positional truth. He made you alive. Can you say with me? He made me alive. Because I was dead. Now, here's another positional truth verse. Just as an example. Look what it says. Quote, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And what did he do? Preach to me, church. Seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now, here's a positional truth. As far as God is concerned, you are in heavenly places seated with Jesus Christ. It's a done deal. It's just a matter of your body catching up with that truth. And it will catch up with that truth when he returns and we are raptured. And you do know the rapture is on the way. About 30 million people will disappear in the United States of America in the blink of an eye. But that's another night and another topic. But I'm going to go there because we've got to get back to what the Bible says. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet, the dead in Christ shall be raised first. And those of us who are alive still on the earth will be caught up together with grandma, with grandpa, with those who have gone ahead of us and meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with those words. But right now we're here. But positionally, we're there. You got it? All these things raised from the spiritual dead, seated in heavenly places in Christ, were done by God for us. They are positional truths. You couldn't have done it for yourself. Now, here's experiential truth. Experiential truth is what happens to me in the framework of time, my earthly experience with God. That's experiential truth. My earthly experience with God. Now, let me give you an example right now out of the uh, Bible. Here's one verse. For we are right now in this life God's handiwork. His workmanship, 
recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may right now in this life do those things or those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now let me go back. Look what it said. We are right now God's handiwork. Now I want to venture to say if you're a child of God, today the Holy Spirit dealt with you about something. He talked to you about what you were thinking. He motivated you to do something that you needed to do that was in the will of God. He gave you peace. He built you up in the faith. He kept you from sin. He strengthened you. He dealt with you. He was working on the inside of you today. You know what that is? That's experiential truth. That's what you're experiencing in time and space as a child of God. It's your right now experience. Powerful stuff. Now this verse is all about our experience with God in this lifetime. Experiential truth. Positional truth looks back to what Christ did for us. Experiential truth looks forward to what Christ is doing and is going to do in the now of our lives. So positional truth, what God did for you. Experiential truth, what God is doing and will do for you now in this lifetime. Now, having said all that, let's move forward into what I want to share with you tonight. Let's look at Paul's attitude about the past. He's going to deal with the past. He says, if I'm going to go forward, I've got to forget what lies behind. Now, so we're first going to look at his passion. If you're going to move forward and experience God and do what God's got for your life, what he purposed for you before the foundations of the world, you're going to have to learn to adopt the attitude that Paul did. Say with me, forgetting what lies behind and reaching to what is ahead. So we'll deal with the forgetting in just a moment. But even before that, we need to have the passion that Paul had. What was his passion? His passion was to grow in his knowledge of Jesus. Now he's going to tell us one of the secrets that made him tick. He said, I've got a passion. Look what it says. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead and that I may so share his sufferings as to be conformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. Now, I don't know about you folks, but I believe that passion persuades I believe Christians ought to be passionate people. And when I say passionate, I mean on fire for Him. You know, Jesus talks in Revelations about those who lost their first love. He said, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. And He said, you're so lukewarm, you're so not hot, not cold, I want to vomit you up. He uses strong language. What was His issue with the church in Laodicea? which church I believe we live in today. The Laodicean church age is now. It's a lukewarm church. It's not a passionate church. But I want to tell you something, folks. I want you to be so passionate about God 
that you don't crawl out of here after church. You bounce out and you bounce into the nearest restaurant and you bounce when the, when the uh, waitress says, what would you like to have? Well, I'd like this and that. And by the way, did you know that God really loves you? I want you to overflow with passion for God. I'm serious. Passion persuades. When you say to somebody, you know, you really ought to know God like I do. That's just a, you know, I was at church today and I'm going home. Going to catch that game. And the game comes on. And you're passionate about the Cowboys. What happened at church? If you can get passionate about a pigskin being carried from one end of a field to another, then you can get passionate about somebody who died for you, rose again from the dead. (laughs) Say with me, passion persuades. It does. When you're on fire for Jesus, you are infectious. You are contagious. It is irresistible. They may not like you, but they will notice you. It is compelling. But if you look like your religion is the worst thing that ever happened to you, don't tell them you came from Turning Point. I'm serious. Tell them you came from down the street. Amen. Passion persuades. Don't lose your first love. Now, Paul had a passion. He had a passion. His passion, as you can almost hear him, oh, that I might know him. The word know there is um, gnosis, and it means to grow in knowledge, to grow in knowledge, to come to know something or somebody better and better. Marriage is uh, the best, best example here. You marry somebody, you know them to a point, but after 20 years, you have come to know them a whole lot better. 25, way better. 30, a lot better. 40, you don't remember anymore. But, <laughs> but the idea is, Paul is saying, I haven't arrived, but I'm growing, I'm growing, and it's my passion. When I wake up in the morning, it's my passion to know him better. All through the day, it's my passion to know him better. He said, I've got a consuming thing on the inside of me. My passion is to grow in my knowledge of Jesus. It's a passion. And that's the way the church ought to be. Now, the verse that I just read to you right there, I want to know Christ and experience his mighty power. Is that positional or experiential truth? He says, I want to grow to know him now in this lifetime. You ought to know him better today than you knew him a year ago. You ought to be a little more mature today than you were a year ago. You ought to know him better next year than you do right now tonight. And we're growing together here at Turning Point. My calling is to help lead you into the maturity, the fullness of the stature of Christ. I'm going there. I want you to go there with me. We're going there. Those in leadership are going there. We want to go there together. We want to grow up into him in all things. Now, here's something that used to bug me. What in the world does he mean that I may so share in his sufferings as to be continually conformed in spirit into his likeness? So why would you have to share 
in his sufferings. He already suffered for us. Let me tell you what he did not mean by that. Paul did not mean that something needed to be added to Christ's sufferings on our behalf. He's not saying that Jesus did not fully suffer for us, that somehow he had to make up what was lacking. That's not what he's saying. Because Hebrews tells us once and for all, he offered himself. There doesn't ever need to be another Savior. You can't add one thimble full of anything to the completed work of Jesus Christ. It's done, and it's perfect, and it's better, and it's the best. And nothing can add to it, and nothing can take away from it. It's perfect. It's perfect. Well, then what was he talking about? He's saying that to know Jesus Christ is to be a a partaker of the three things we just read in that verse. And here they are. If you walk with Jesus, you're going to fellowship with him and you're going to grow in your knowledge of him. And second, you're going to know the power of his spirit. That I may know the power of his resurrection. Well, the power of his resurrection, the power that resurrected him was the Holy Spirit that's in this room tonight. The power that moved into that tomb moved across the dead body of Jesus and raised him is the same spirit living in you. And when you are raptured, it'll be the same spirit that catches you up. So if you walk with him, you're going to know that power. You're going to be familiar with the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine living in this life without the Holy Spirit. No wonder people drink themselves, snort coke, uh, uh, take drugs of all kinds, drink themselves to death in a world without God. I wouldn't be able to handle what I see out there without the power of the Holy Spirit. But I've got a hope. And the hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Now, you're going to know the fellowship of walking with Him. You're going to know the power of His Spirit. And here's what you're going to know. The same rejection from the world that He experienced. You're going to know that. If you let the cat out of the bag, if you come out of the closet and you come open with your Christianity, you're going to experience the same rejection from the world, guarantee you, that He did. Oh, they may put on a good act around you, but you'll notice you get less phone calls. Less invitations to the parties, less invitations to the little gatherings at the coffee bar, uh, at, at uh, lunch break, at work. If you're really open with your faith, you will find times of loneliness and rejection from a world that does not embrace him. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they love the darkness more than they love the light. And they will stay in the darkness and they don't want somebody with a flashlight coming walking into their dark room and shining on all the cobwebs. And that's what you do. And something inside of them, when they see you coming, says, uh-oh, here comes somebody walking in that light stuff. And I know I've got cobwebs, and I like the cobwebs, and I like the spiders that are spinning the cobwebs. I like my sin. And I don't want somebody shining a light on it. So excuse me while I exit before you get here. That's, that's, that's the fellowship of his suffering going to happen to you and that's all right you know i tell people who are at college i had lots of rejection in college um, i got stories that can make you cry but i learned 
And I was very open with my faith in college. Very open with it. Had a whole class get up and walk out on me one time. Just got up and walked out. <laughs> Y'all look at me like, I'm sorry. No, listen, I learned. You know, the Lord spoke to me when this happened and said, didn't I tell you? If they rejected me, they'll reject you. I'm not telling you to go be obnoxious or belligerent or, you know, kind of crazy. I'm saying if you share your faith, there's going to be some lonely times. But here's what Peter said. When you suffer for the cause of Christ, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of glory is resting on you. So though you're alone, you're not lonely. There's a difference between alone and lonely. I've been alone a lot and not lonely. And I've been lonely at times while not alone. You can be lonely in a crowd of people. But you can be alone and not lonely. He's with you when you're rejected for him. Church, I don't want you to be intimidated to get out there and share your faith. We've got to start sharing our faith. All right? So, here's the promise. As you walk with him, you will be ongoingly conformed to his likeness. You will be conformed to his likeness. Then here's what Paul says. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Here's what he's saying. Either by martyrdom or dying of old age, I am going to experience a resurrection from the dead. And so will you. And church, we've got to stay with this truth. And I'm not going to harp on it all night, but I'm going to tell you, you take away a resurrection, you have no Christianity. You take away the reality of Jesus rising from the dead and one day you and I being raised from the dead. If you take that away, we, we do not have Christianity. We have a religious club. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die and nothing else matters after that. But if there is a resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is a resurrection, then we are living for Him with all of our being. Because the day is going to come, He's going to call you out of the dead. He is. Last Saturday, I, I buried my, my wife's 102-year-old grandmother, little Mickey Simpson. 102. She outlived her husband by like 30, 35 years. Uh, woman of faith, never lost her clear thinking, uh, was always greeted you with a smile, could talk to you about the current events up until the day she died at 102. I buried this little 75-pound body at a little graveside in East Texas. But I told the family, I said, you see this right here? She's not in that body, but the day's going to come. This little 75-pound woman who lived to 102 is coming out of this grave. Coming out, praising the Lord. And right now, her spirit is fellowshipping with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. But that resurrection of the body is the core, is one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith. I want you to say with me, one day, I will be resurrected to meet the Lord in the air. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's real.
You will, you will. <laughs> All right, now, the second thing he talks about is the Christian's pursuit. Now, look what he says. Not that I have now attained this idea or have already been made perfect, but I press on to apprehend and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, apprehended me and made me his own. Now, let me be real clear with you tonight about something. This makes it so clear that we did not one day wake up and have a great idea and go find Jesus. Not only did he find us, but we were apprehended by him. Now, that's a strong word. It wasn't just this casual kind of passive, well, I got saved the other day. No, you got apprehended. And that's the word. Now, that word comes from a Greek word that means captured seized, laid hold of. I picture, you know, grabbing a little kid by the scruff of the neck and just picking him up. And, and uh, I remember James Dobson told this funny story. He, James Dobson one time as a little kid uh, got lost, got separated from his, his parents, and he was this little guy, and they were looking everywhere for him. And when he was found, his dad picked him up by the scruff of his neck and just held him up and he said, I never got lost again. I got apprehended by my father. Now let me tell you something. There you were in your sin and God reached down and God apprehended you. He laid hold of you. He seized you. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus. He's going to persecute Christians. And what happens? A light from heaven knocked him to the ground he wasn't on a horse quit saying he was on a horse got knocked off his horse there's no horse in the story he was just walking and he got knocked to the ground slain in the spirit if you will and a light shone around him and a voice said Saul Saul why are you persecuting me now I want you to know that wasn't a passive salvation that was apprehended believe it or not the Bible says that we were all apprehended seized laid hold of amen and, and here's a couple of Bible examples. I want to show you how strong this word is. It says, Jesus, uh, as Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught, apprehended, seized, same Greek word, who had been caught or apprehended in the act of adultery. They seized her and threw her in the presence of Jesus. Same word. Here it is again. Jesus is having a demon spirit explain or describe to him. A dad says to him, whenever the spirit seizes my son, it throws him violently to the ground. The spirit seized the boy. Same word where it was sudden and it was dramatic. And what we've got to understand is when we got saved, we got seized. We got captured. We got apprehended. We got laid hold of. And it wasn't just for eternity, but it was for a purpose on this earth. That's why Paul said, what do you want me to do, Lord? That's the only thing you can say once you have been seized by God. What do you want me to do? Here I am. You got me. Amen. Say with me, I'm apprehended. So the Christian, you and me, were seized, laid hold of, captured by Jesus Christ for the purpose of salvation in eternity and for good works on earth. 
Now look what Paul says in verse 12. He says, I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. He had a passion. Here was his passion. I want to know him. He had a purpose. I want to lay hold of that for which he laid hold of me. Every believer who names the name of Christ ought to have a passion. I want to know him. You ought to have a purpose. My purpose is I want to apprehend that for which he apprehended me. I want to find out what he wants me to do and bless God. I'm going to do it. Amen. Praise the Lord. I haven't arrived, he says, at the full level of maturity he's called me to. But I'm growing there. I'm growing there. I want what he's called me to do. Now, you can know for a fact tonight, church, that one thing he has certainly apprehended you for is to grow into maturity. To not remain a baby Christian, but to grow. Grow in love, grow in joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, and faith. He has called you. That's one of the things. He grabbed you by the scruff of the neck, pulled you out of your sin, set you in heavenly places in Christ, and there is a that. There was a that in his mind. That for which he apprehended you. And if you'll ask him, Lord, what did you save me for? Show me what you want me to do. Well, well, you know that he wants you to glorify him wherever you work, wherever you go to school. There is a that for which he apprehended you. You've been apprehended. You know, my little dog, Ollie, uh, four years ago, I can't believe it was four years ago, in a real down moment in my life, I said, I need a dog who will treat me like the chihuahua treats Kathy when she walks in. When Kathy comes home, it's like the second coming of Jesus every single time. (laughs) Hallelujah. You know, that little dog just... (laughs) goes nuts but when i walk in the little dog doesn't even look up so i wanted somebody that got ex- so i went and got a dog and i rescued ollie from the pound and when i went into the pound and i don't ever send me to the pound i'll come out of there with 30 dogs i mean my heart goes out to every one of them but i, I walked in there and they're all in these little cages and here's what i did I, I i went in there and i went walking down the cages and i was praying now lord show me which one and all of them I wanted, all of them. I love dogs. To me, they're wonderful creatures. I just, I could just go on about dogs. I just think they're wonderful. And, and so anyway, went cage after cage, and here's this worker telling me all these stories about these different dogs. But I, I came to this one cage at the end of the line, and curled up in the corner was this little dog curled up in a ball who looked up at me a little bit when I came in. And I said, I want to see him. She said, oh, okay. So she gets him out, hands him to me, and Ollie, even at six weeks old, was smart because he nestled himself right under my arm, looked up at me. And watch this. I chose him. I said, him. I said, well, it's going to cost you. I said, how much? She told me it wasn't too bad, but I didn't care. I made up my mind. So I went and paid the price to get him out of bondage. I put the money down. How much? Well, it'll be this much. I put that money down, and then Ollie was transferred to me 
out of a cage, out of hopelessness, out of certain death they would have put him down if nobody had ever gotten him because it was a pound where they put him down. And so I took him, spared him from being destroyed. I put him in my car and I took him to a place he'd have never gone if it weren't for grace. Why was I there? I was there because I decided to. Why did I pick him to pick him? Because I wanted to. It was my choice. I chose to love him, chose to pick him, chose to nurture him, chose to raise him, chose to redeem him. And he turned out to be a mutt. He's just a mutt. There's not a shred of pedigree in him. Not a shred. He's different colors. His lower teeth stick out further than they should. He's got one ear that is different from the others. He's, there's not a shred of pedigree in him. But you know why I love him? Because he's my redeemed dog. That's why I love him. Because I know if I hadn't gone and gotten him, he'd be gone today. It was grace and it was mercy and it was a choice. And that's what God did for you. I apprehended him. Now, when I did, I held him and I walked out of there with a purpose in mind. I saw him walking around my house, making Christmas a little bit more fun, being there every day to greet me when I came home. I pictured him making the kids a little bit happier, adding some joy to our house. I saw, I had a vision, I had a dream, I had a purpose for Ollie. He knew none of that when I let him out of the cage. He had to hang around with me to find out what it was that I had in mind for him when I got him. <laughs> and it's still unfolding he still learns new things, but I've had him for four years. And I sat to him yesterday. This is really the truth. I talk to him sometimes. I'll tell you the truth. I said, Ollie, you and me, can you believe it, buddy? We've been together four years. He had nothing to say about that. <laughs> Not a thing. Not a thing. But I want you to know, I had a that in mind. When I picked him up, held him, paid for his redemption, and walked out. I had a purpose in mind. And when God saved you, he carried you out of the cage of sin. He carried you into heavenly places in Christ. You are living right now in places in the Spirit of God you'd have never known if not for the grace of God. And he had a that in mind. And, and it's going to continue to unfold as you walk with him. The only way you find out what it was he had in his mind is hang around with him. Now, he says, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, forgetting and reaching. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Now, I'm going to tell you quickly what forgetting means, and then we're going to... Now, I'm going to deal with forgetting next week. It's too strong to go through it too quickly. Let's stand together. I want you to say with me, God has a that in mind for me that's why he took me out of the cage amen
Heavenly Father, we just thank you that Paul realized that he was apprehended for a purpose and redeemed with the currency of the blood of the Lamb. He was let out of the cage of his sin, Lord, and brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. And he realized that there was a that for which you had apprehended him. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And Lord, we all say to you tonight, individually and corporately, show us what you want us to do. I want you to breathe a very special prayer to God tonight. I want you to say, Lord, what do you want me to do?